It's Monday, December 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you, sir. Happy December 21st. Yes, yeah, shortest, shortest day of the year. Just around the corner here, right? No, today. Today is the shortest day of the year. Oh, is it really? Well, wow. I thought it was, for some reason, I was thinking it was the 23rd. But, uh, I mean, hey, nevertheless, that's great. Hey, let's let's get back to some longer days. I'm tired of waking up <laughs> in like the middle of the night when it's like 7 in the morning and uh, you know, sitting there watching TV at 4.30 in the afternoon and realizing it's pitch black dark. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we've got big banks. We've got a big guest coming up on our Industry Focus podcast. And uh, we're going to start with another big quarter from Nike. Second quarter profits came in higher than expected. Revenue in China up 24%. Online sales continue to impress. So, no surprise that shares of Nike are up 5% this morning. And hitting a new all-time high. Yeah, well, I mean, we we've been saying it all year regarding strong businesses in in, in trying times like these. And, and, and CEO John Donahoe even even reiterated it on the call uh, when he said, and I quote, "These are times when strong brands get stronger." And and certainly Nike is one of those strong brands going into this. I mean, we we knew that it was going to be able to pivot and deal with with the situation better than most, and, and it's proving out uh, to be the case. Uh, as you noted, uh, strong strong really financial performance across the board. Uh, revenues of of eleven point two billion dollars. That was up seven percent on a currency neutral basis. Uh, Nike direct sales. This was really impressive. Nike direct sales were $4.3 billion. That was up 30%. But if you do a little math, then you can see that direct was actually almost 40% of the company's business. Uh, so, uh, you know, listen, we talk about these companies that are taking more ownership of the brand and the experience, and, and Nike is doing that, and it's really benefiting. And uh, I mean, Nike digital sales up 80% on a currency neutral basis. That's now three straight quarters of, of approximately 80% uh, or better digital growth. Uh, China, as you mentioned, was the real uh, star of the quarter. They're, they're working on a little bit of an accelerated timeline there and recovering from COVID 19, of course. And, and so I, I think that management. Is, is learning a lot from what they've done in China, and they're able to bring that uh, over to North America and, and to the digital sphere. Uh, North America, flat, not too terribly impressive, but really, given the situation, that, that's actually pretty good. Uh, they've got inventories in check, gross margin compressed a little bit just due to basic costs regarding uh, the pandemic and, and some higher promotional activity. But, but when you look at this quarter, in total, uh, just another just another stellar really quarter from from what I consider a, a stellar business. I think you're right about North America. I mean, just the fact that it's basically flat. It's like that's fine, and I think part of it is because of what we just saw out of China. Um, even when you factor in, yeah, Singles Day was part of the quarter in China. So maybe you know, maybe if Singles Day doesn't happen, maybe it's only up 22% or something like that. Like I, I don't know how much Singles Day moved the needle. I know it helped. Yeah. But uh, I, I think that's part of the optimism that we're seeing is, is the rebound in China and thinking of how that can apply to North America in 2021. Speaking of which, I don't know if you had a chance to go through the call at all. I'm curious the extent to which Donahoe or anyone on his team said anything about their expected marketing spend in 2021. Because if history is any guide, when the Olympics roll around, when there are these major global sporting events, businesses like Nike and Adidas ramp up their marketing spend. 
They do. They do. And and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because he did actually mention on the call. I mean, they, they noted that they expect, I, I like what they call it. They call it, they, they call it demand creation. And that's just a, that's just a creative, <laughs> that's just a nice way of saying, Hey, listen, we're going to be spending a little bit more money uh, in the near term in order to, to get the name and the brand out there and advertise. Uh, but, but that's, that's, that's what they call it on the call. They said that they expect demand creation as a percentage of revenue. It's going to gradually increase increase uh, here in the coming quarters versus the most recent quarters. And I think that makes a lot of sense uh, from a, a number of different angles. I mean, we've got obviously a lot of good news in regard to the vaccines. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that we're, we're going into 2021 with some optimism, some some well-deserved and, and, and well-grounded optimism. I think the sporting world will continue to accelerate, albeit Slowly, I think we're going to continue to see the sporting world come back online in full. Uh, eventually, we see we see uh, consumers getting back out to games and, and and out to to places where they can watch games, and and that keeps that keeps that gives the Nike that opportunity to get that brand back top of mind. Um, so so yeah, I mean they are going to be spending more. It ultimately leads up to this big Olympics event later in the year, which is essentially the 2020 Olympics just in 2021. Uh, and I think they're I think they're gonna go they're gonna go a little bit they're gonna go a little bit bigger this time around. I think that's fair to say. I think all brands probably will because they just see this as such an opportunity on so many different fronts. It's 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 the comeback, right? It's not just the comeback for the sporting world, but it's the comeback for the entire world here, <laughs> getting past all this COVID stuff. And and so I think that's that's money well spent. Uh, they've they've done a really good job of of doing what they say they're gonna do in in making sure they keep inventory in check, making sure they keep the expenses running this business in check, not spending too much, uh, but but spending where it it needs to be spent. Obviously, uh, restructuring the business and supply chains and whatnot to cope with uh, what what has been a very very different world here this past year. But um, I, it, that that's money well spent. I mean that I, I look at that. That's kind of like R and D for those tech companies, right? I mean, it, it's money that they have to spend. If they don't spend it, then they get caught flat-footed, uh, and and someone comes out of the blue uh, and, and and takes over the conversation. So, so to me, this is a company that's very well capitalized. I mean, the balance sheet, cash and equivalents, uh, up to eleven point eight billion. Remember, they just issued a, a, a big. Uh, they just issued a big bond issuance here in, in March. Um, so, so they have all of the capital resources they need. I mean, the shareholders are still winning. They they recently raised the dividend twelve percent. Uh, they continue to buy back shares. Uh, well, I mean, they bought back shares over the past five or so years. Uh, they will resume uh, repurchase activity here very shortly, um, and so I think investors can look forward to that as well. I agree with everything you just said, but can we agree? That demand creation is a phrase <laughs> that the marketing people came up with because they were tired of being picked on for spending money. Like internally, <laughs> there are people just like, and they're like, we got to come up with something better than this. I mean, it's I like, know. Uh, you know what we're doing? We're creating demand. That's what we do. <laughs> I mean, you guys it's spend a lot of money. No, we create demand. <laughs> I agree. I agree totally. And I mean, I, I don't blame them for that because I mean, that that first reaction when you tell someone you're spending, think about it when you come home and and, and your your better half tells you that she just bought some big ticket item. You're kind of like, oh god, like can we really afford that? You know, it it creates stress when you say when you say that you're spending more money. But if you can frame it as such that it's really all about it's it's really all for the benefit of the business, then I, I think investors maybe feel a little bit less stress in regard to that up spending and recognizes probably a good sort of forest for the trees uh, type of thing. 
You know what? You say that like you you yourself have never come home and had to say to her, uh, I just spent a lot of money on this thing. Uh, well, I definitely have. I definitely have. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it is a two-way street, no question about it. <laughs> Last Friday, the Federal Reserve announced it will allow big banks in the U.S. to resume share buybacks in the first quarter of 2021. And Jamie Dimon and his crew wasted no time whatsoever. J.P. Morgan Chase announced a $30 billion buyback plan, and shares of JPM are up about 3% this morning. Uh, it, it makes sense to me, because it's been a, a tough year in terms of... The, I mean, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about a lot of stocks that have doubled and then some this year, Jason, and the big banks are not in that group. No, they're not, and I mean I understand why they are they are dealing with a very difficult uh, environment here, interest rate wise. I mean, anytime banks get stuck in these low interest rate environments, it becomes more difficult for them to eke out that profitability. Um, I mean, of course, these bigger banks have other ways to go about that, right? They they do have trading operations and, and other ways to do that. But but I mean, in J.P. Morgan's case, I mean, this isn't necessarily a Goldman Sachs, so to speak. Um, so it, it is nice to see that they are able to resume this. I mean, we've talked about. Uh, these these tailwinds for banks in 2021 and, and, and some of the different things that, that uh, could be happening in their favor here. Uh, share buybacks certainly won. I mean, that, that if you remember, it was back in March that, that these buybacks were essentially suspended due to the pandemic. I mean, that was the right decision. Um, I mean, it, it was it was becoming somewhat clear that there was going to be at least some period of, of economic hardship there, and uh, you know we even saw that in the reserves that these banks have been setting aside lately, and and just. For an example, uh, back in in October on on the October uh, earnings call, as of the October earnings call, J.P. Uh, Morgan had uh, around thirty four billion dollars held in reserves at, at that time, which is is that's high. <laughs> that's a, that's a lot of money. Uh, but I mean, it's for good reason, right? I mean, they're protecting themselves against losses, against bad loans, against uh, delinquencies. That it's reasonable to assume those are going to happen. Now they they management on that call, they're looking at this from the perspective, and they think that we'll see delinquencies actually tick up early in twenty twenty one. See some of those resulting in charge offs toward the back half of 2021 as well, but that with with the, the recent stimulus package that sounds like it's going to be passed, obviously good news in regard to the vaccines, they're starting to see more confidence in the economy actually being able to, to recover and, and deliver somewhat reasonable growth uh, uh, assumptions there. So, so, they're going to slowly but surely start releasing those reserves that number is going to come down. They're going to be able to use, obviously, a lot of their capital, continue to buying back shares. I mean, $30 billion, that, that's a decent chunk of change. I mean, $30 billion ultimately in today's share price, that, that translates to about 250 million shares. And, and that's about 8% of the shares outstanding. And then if you look at JP Morgan since 2016, that share count's down around 17%. So typically, you know, investing in these banks, a big part of the argument is dividends and share buybacks. And, and that, that argument really hasn't existed here over the past several, several months for, for good reasons. But it sounds like uh, it, it may, things may be shaping up in 2021 uh, for banks. I could see some tailwinds starting to develop. It's absolutely worth keeping an eye on these guys. I also just like the fact that in the statement from J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon refers to the 
bank's balance sheet as a fortress. <laughs> we will continue to maintain a fortress balance sheet that allows us to safely deploy capital. It's like the best word you can use in regard to your balance sheet. Like it makes you feel so good knowing that you have a company that that has that perspective. That's their perspective is that they want their balance sheet to be a total asset to protect them from any any potential problems that may exist. And and, and to my mind, I, I just think that Jamie Dimon is the best CEO in, in the banking industry, period. Uh, one of the greatest CEOs out there in, in, in the market today, I think. And um, I, I appreciate his focus. I appreciate his input. I really do. Uh, I, I hope to, to never see him actually pursue politics. I think he's, he's better off uh, as, as a consultant or something. I think he can serve our political landscape very well through, through that measure as opposed to like getting into politics. And politics just seems like a dead end for so many folks. He's just such a bright mind with so many uh, great perspectives on things. And um, I think shareholders and JP Morgan have to feel really good about the fact that he's still, still running the show. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Got an email from Tom Kaufman. He writes, I've been watching shares of digital turn, uh, turbine rocket for months. Could you possibly weigh in on the company? I'm wondering if you think digital turbine is a good choice for the long term. Thanks for all you do. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, right back at you, Tom. Digital turbine is a company I was not familiar with. Uh, this is a $5 billion market cap. Uh, it, it operates uh, essentially a an on-device media platform for wireless carriers. They've got a partnership with Samsung. Um, one analyst um, made the analogy that uh, Digital Turbine is basically Roku for smartphones. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Digital Turbine is not a company that I've ever really dug into, uh, but but it, it's understandable that it's caught uh, investors' attention this year. The stock is up close to seven hundred percent this year, and I mean that we've seen it all all year long. I mean, I, I feel like at this point, my dogs can pick stocks, Chris, because it just seems like they all do nothing but go up. Um, but but with that said, I mean, I think that with Digital Turbine and, and in digging into this business a little bit. To learn more about it, um, I, you know, it, it, it's. I'm not going to sit there and say it's it's something worth owning or something you should take a pass on. I, I definitely understand the interest level there. It's it's a business that ultimately it's a software business. It enables mobile operators and original equipment manufacturers to ultimately manage and monetize their devices uh, in in regard to app installation. Right? I mean, when you get a new device. Uh, these these operators are, are finding ways. You know, app developers want you to download their apps, and so they're going to pay these operators to figure out ways to do that. So they pay these operators. Uh, these operators pay uh, Digital Turbine, and, and it's a nice little relationship. And it seems like it's working out fairly well. Digital Turbine's revenue is, is growing considerably. Um, now, now with that said, the stock is trading at somewhere around 200 times earnings right now. I, <laughs> On the one hand, I give it credit for being a profitable business. That's kind of uh, it's, it's kind of unheard of these days, right? These 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 high flyers are all are all really good at not making money, but Digital Turbine is actually making money, so that's 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 in their favor. Um, but but still, at, at 200 times earnings, you have to at least acknowledge that. Um, and I think that for me, 
So part of the question there that Tom asked was in regard to Apple and and digital turbine software being pre-installed on iPhones. And I'm not certain of that. I didn't see anything in the news that suggested that was the case. It may or may not be. I'm not sure. But one thing I did find that is worth noting, and this is in the company's 10K, this is largely an Android story. I mean, this is an Android-based tech provider. So really, if it comes pre-installed on, on iPhones, there's absolutely some uh, opportunity there. Now, Apple is obviously taking a very big stance in regard to privacy and data protection. That's something to keep in mind as well. Um, but but this is basically, as it stands today, largely an Android story. And that's good. I mean, Android, globally speaking, is the dominant mobile platform, and it can it can cross many, many different hardware uh, devices. So, so that's good. Um, and then it's it's just trying to understand how they make their money. Who are their customers? And this, it, it's worth noting. I mean, again, I found this in this in the the 10K. I mean, they are very tied to some very big customers. And if you just look at some of these numbers here, during the fiscal years ended 2020 and 2019, Verizon Wireless was responsible for a little over 37 percent and almost 46 percent of the company's revenue. And AT&T was responsible for 30% and 38.7% respectively of, of their net revenue. So you can just see that, I mean, the company is very dependent on some very big customers. There's just no doubt about that. You have to keep that in mind. Uh, but with that said, it, it does have a larger uh, operator ecosystem, so to speak. I think 40 plus uh, major operators around the world. Mobile advertising is a massive business. I mean, it's a massive market opportunity. So I think it really boils down to the tech that this company offers and how compelling it is, how well it works. It seems like it works pretty well. Uh, so, so could be a business worth digging more into. But, but it has it has had a stellar year. Uh, so I, I would uh, just be a little bit careful in regard to the valuation. That that strikes me as one of the bigger risks with a business like this today. A stock trading at 200 times earnings, all I can do is picture Ron Gross just like hit, hitting his head against his desk. <laughs> I mean, I think, a lot, I think a lot of people are doing that with a lot of these companies today. It's, it's, it's been a phenomenal year, and it seems like 2021 is shaping up to be another good one. Um, but, but that old Buffett saw, it's starting to, it's starting to really resonate and, and ring, ring louder in, in my ears. You know, be... Be fearful when others are greedy, and, and it does feel like that greed is, is hitting new levels every day. So, so it's just worth keeping in mind. Real quick before we wrap up, you have a very special guest on Industry Focus later today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you've watched uh, CNBC or you watch Shark Tank, then uh, you probably know Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. Uh, he is, he's going to be joining us today for, for Industry Focus. Matt and I are going to uh, sit down and chat with him for a little bit. So, we're really excited about uh, the interview with, with uh, Kevin O'Leary. And uh, he's got a new finance app out there that he's going to talk about. And uh, the conversation will extend far beyond that into all sorts of areas of the business and investing world. So, really excited about that. Make sure to tune in later this afternoon. It'll drop on all podcast uh, platforms, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're not already listening to Industry Focus, I mean, uh, this, this is the episode to jump in on. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. Shows mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. My friends want-